All right, well, welcome everybody to Grand Rounds today. Good afternoon. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure for me to be able to introduce to you uh, Dr. Patricia Pioli today, who's our speaker. Um, so Pat and I were just talking about how long she's been at Dartmouth. And it has been a while because Pat actually did her PhD here, and that was with um, William Rigby. And then she also did her postdoctoral uh, work here with Paul Geyer, who's in our audience. And um, after her, finishing her postdoc, that was in the Department of Physiology, Pat moved into a role of research of assistant professor, also in the Department of Physiology. Um, but sh she's not there now. Um, Pat, in fact, was then moved to the tenure track in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology as an assistant professor. And as of 2016, moved over to the Department of Microbiology and Immunology, where, where she is now um, as an assistant professor. So I've been pleased to call Pat my colleague since I arrived here. Um, and uh, her work focuses on um, the biology of macrophages. And that has spanned several disease types. Um, as you can see here, she's going to talk today about tumor-associated macrophages. But um, she also has a vibrant research program in scleroderma and macrophage involvement in, in that disease as well. Um, Pat has mentored numerous students. Um, she teaches at the college and, and at the medical school, and she currently holds two NIH awards and has also a, a large pending NIH award I saw in her CV. And... Um, but it doesn't relate to this, but so we're really excited to hear today about her work in, in cancer. So thank you, Pat. Oh, wait, I have to read the disclosure before anybody. <laughs> Sorry about this. I don't do this too often. So I have to read the conflict of interest. Um, uh, Pat has a grant research support with NIH SBIR focused on immunotherapy for scleroderma um, with her spouse who's associated with Saldara Medical. Alan Hartford and course director for the CME activity reports that my relationship with industry has been resolved by validating the content of my presentation through peer review. Um, Pat does not intend to discuss off-label or investigational use of a product or device, and she's not receiving direct payments from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. So let's welcome Pat. Thank you, Mary Jo, very much for that very kind introduction. And thank you all very much for being here today. It's my pleasure and my privilege to talk to you about some of our work um, looking at redirection of macrophage activation uh, in the context of, of tumors. So in 2000, Robert Weinberg and Douglas Hanahan published a paper in Cell in which, which was entitled Hallmarks of Cancer. And in that paper, they described uh, key features of cancer cells in the context of tumors, um, things like prolonged and sustained activation of signaling, um, evasion of growth suppression and cell death, um, and the ability of these cells to promote angiogenesis, which, of course, promotes their own tumor growth and progression. And then we had a decade. So between 2000 and 2010, there was a proliferation of 
research activity focused on looking at the immune system in the context of cancer, um, both immune component of tumors as well as the ability of the immune system to perhaps be directed such that it could potentially eradicate cancer. And so that led them to uh, publish a subsequent paper in 2011 that was entitled Hallmarks of Cancer, The Next Generation, in which they highlighted two key additional factors. Um, one was um, the ability of tumors to deregulate cellular energetics, in other words, to manipulate metabolism, and then also the ability of tumors to evade immune destruction, to, uh, to evade immune um, detection and then killing. Um, and it was also recognized that um, inflammation plays a great role in the promotion and maintenance of cancer. Um, of course, this had been recognized for quite some time as, you know, as early as the, uh, the late 19th century, it was recognized that there was a link between inflammation uh, and tumorigenesis. So I guess, because this paper was published, you know, so long ago in 2011, now we're into the end of 2018, we really, instead of saying emerging hallmarks of cancer, uh, more appropriately, we would uh, say, I guess, established hallmarks of cancer. So... As Mary Jo just told you, by training, I'm an immunologist. I'm not a cancer biologist. And I will admit to um, some incredible naivete, when I first started working on this, um, I thought of, of tumors as being composed of cancer cells, right? So these are the cells that we're trying to target and kill um, with conventional sorts of therapies. But in fact, the tumor microenvironment is much more rich. Um, in addition to the tumor cells themselves, of course, uh, there are a number of stromal cells that support tumor growth. And these include things like fibroblasts, cancer-associated fibroblasts, which provide signals that facilitate tumor development and progression, um, as well as a significant component of immune cells. And these include macrophages and um, tumor-associated macrophages here, which mediate a lot of properties within the tumor microenvironment. Um, in fact, up to 50% of the cells in a solid tumor can be composed of macrophages. So, in fact, these are a large component of, of the tumor and can mediate a lot of the functions that facilitate tumor growth. So, I'm an immunologist. I'm interested in macrophage activation, um, specifically the signaling pathways um, that regulate macrophage activation um, in the context of many different types of diseases, but also particularly uh, in this instance, cancer. So one of the things that I really love about working with macrophages is that they're very plastic cells. So macrophages are very unique in that their, macro, their activation uh, and phenotype are really determined by their local microenvironment. So you can manipulate these cells into doing different behaviors based on um, the cellular milieu to which they're exposed. So they receive signals and can comply. So... Um, macrophage activation is very complex, and it spans, in fact, a broad spectrum of states. But, of course, people like to be reductionist, and so right around the year 2000, macrophage biologists decided that to try to reduce some of the complexity associated with macrophage activation, that they would come up with a system of nomenclature for defining macrophages. 
And they refer to, in an analogous system to uh, the T-cell biologists, this M1 versus M2 to parallel the Th1 and Th2 cell, uh, cell types. So on one complete end of the macrophage activation spectrum are these so-called M1 cells. And um, synonyms for this include things like classical activation. M1 cells are the sort of prototypical macrophage that you think of in terms of conferring immune protection. So these are the cells that make a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokines, things like TNF-alpha. They're going to be good at mobilizing immune responses, um, phagocytosis, and um, evasion of microbial invasion. And then on the other extreme end of the macrophage activation spectrum are these so-called M2 cells. And M2 cells are also referred to as alternatively activated macrophages. These cells are um, thought to be involved in things, processes like wound healing. So they secrete anti-inflammatory cytokines, things like IL-10 and TGF-beta. And um, they're re responsible for the resolution of, of inflammation. In actuality, there really is no such thing in vivo as a purely M1 or an M2 macrophage. In reality, in vivo, because these cells are exposed to so many different signals, um, macrophage activation really falls on this spectrum. However, um, a lot of the literature, old, old habits die hard, and in a lot of the literature um, that persists today, you'll see macrophages in the context of tumors referred to as M2. Um, because basically what we mean is that these cells are immunosuppressive. So these are not going to be the cells that are going to be inducing immune responses, and these are not the types of cells that you want in the context of a tumor. So I just told you that macrophages in the context of tumors are really not something that's beneficial. Um, why? In the first place, they promote angiogenesis. They release a plethora of pro-angiogenic factors, including things like uh, VEGF. Um, they mediate proliferation through elaboration of growth factors. Um, they facilitate the EMT transition. Um, they provide a supportive environment for cancer stem cells. Um, they mediate invasion and metastasis through production of uh, proteinases, matrix metalloproteinases, that facilitate tumor cell invasion. Um, they also are responsible for uh, activation of tumor-promoting inflammatory cells, so other stromal cells that are going to be uh, responsible for making inflammatory factors. Um, and probably most significantly, they're responsible for taming of adaptive immunity. So T cells are going to be suppressed by macrophages in the context of a tumor. So where do these cells come from? Um, for a long time, we thought they were exclusively blood-derived, um, which is what you see here. So we thought that inflammatory monocytes, which are the uh, circulating precursors of macrophages, were recruited from the blood and then entered the tumor and then maintain residence there. Um, and for many types of, of tumors, um, these types of cells, these recruited inflammatory monocytes, constitute a significant component of, of TAMs, of tumor-associated macrophages. 
But in addition to these recruited monocytes, there's also a significant component of macrophages that are uh, in tumors that derive from the yolk sac, from a, an erythroid myeloid progenitor cell. And depending on the type of tumor, the type of macrophage, the origin of the macrophage that's responsible for mediating tumor development and progression um, is really contingent. Uh, um, the one that predominates in terms of responsibility for the tumor growth is really contingent on the type of tumor. And that's probably because of the differences in local tumor uh, microenvironments. But as you can see, once these cells enter the tumor, um, they are influenced by many, many, many factors. Uh, and in fact, it's probably the concentrated effort of many of these factors that are, is responsible for their activation profile. So these include things like CCL2, um, which can be derived from the tumor cell, um, CSF, um, IL-4 produced by tumor cells, as well as cytokines produced by regulatory T cells, things like IL-10, and TH2 cells, IL-4 and IL-13, um, as well as a whole host of other um, cytokines, chemokines, and, and growth factors that are collectively responsible for mediating the activation profile of these cells. So obviously, TAMs are not something that's going to be um, beneficial to an organism. It's going to they're going to promote tumor growth. So as a result, many strategies um, have been developed to try to either re-educate these macrophages, and and these cells are. Because they're so plastic, they're very amenable to redirection. So if we could take a macrophage that is polarized in such a way that, for lack of a better term, it's, it's M2 polarized, in other words, it's going to be immunosuppressive, if we could pr provide the appropriate signals to redirect activation of those macrophages such that we can get a macrophage that's going to be immunostimulatory, that would certainly be a beneficial immunotherapy. Um, so there are many efforts focused on this re-education. Um, in addition, um, many therapies are focused on inhibition of recruitment of these cells and the function. So the idea here is that if we don't allow these cells to be recruited in the first place, then they won't be supporting tumor growth, and so the tumors won't develop and progress. So there are many chemokines that are responsible for recruitment of these inflammatory monocytes and macrophages to the tumor, but one of the central ones is CCL2, and I'll get back to that later in the talk. So we think we have uh, identified a compound that actually is capable of doing both of these things, of inhibiting recruitment of these cells to the tumor, as well as re-educating these cells to make them immunostimulatory as opposed to immunosuppressive. And um, the compounds that we use are derivatives of naturally occurring compounds that um, are synthesized in many plants. So um, they're known as oleanine triterpenoids. And here's the, the structure of oleanoic acid. And you can find oleanoic acid in things like garlic and olives. And it's been used in Chinese medicine for a really long time because of its weakly anti-carcinogenic and anti-inflammatory properties. So that's great. Um, to try to exploit these naturally occurring compounds, Mike Sporn here at Dartmouth, in collaboration with the chemistry department, developed a number of synthetic derivatives of these compounds. Um, and 
the goal here was to make them much more potent, so to vastly increase their anti-carcinogenic and anti-inflammatory properties. And the compound that we use um, is one of these triterpenoids, um, CDDOME. Um, these triterpenoids have, been, have had great success um, in the inhibition uh, of, of cancer cell growth in many, many types of cancer, including solid tumors, uh, things like breast cancer and pancreatic cancer, as well as things like T and B cell lymphomas. So they seem to have broad efficacy across many different types of cancer. And I should note that these compounds were actually initially developed for chemo prevention. So the idea was that these compounds would be used to inhibit cancer before it actually started growing. Um, but we've also since recognized that these compounds are useful chemotherapeutically as well. So the compound that we're using is um, CDDOME, which stands for CDDO-methylester, and there's the structure of it there. As I said, it's, it's anti-inflammatory. Um, it's been shown to inhibit the growth of many tumor cells, um, and in fact, it induces apoptosis in them. Um, this com one of the things that's really nice about this compound is that it's orally available. So we can actually... Um, there's a, a pill form that's been synthesized, and we can also, in terms of our mouse experiments, uh, provide it in, in the mouse chow. So um, I'm going to get back to the slide in a minute, but um, what you can see from this slide is that um, CDDOME actually, and this is an experiment in an ER-negative mouse model of breast cancer, administration of CDDOME to these mice results in a significant delay in the development of tumors, right here, as well as a significant enhancement in survival. So it doesn't completely stop the development of tumors. These mice develop tumors, but it significantly inhibits um, the rate at which they develop the tumors, and it enhances survival. So the mouse, the first part of what I'm going to tell you is all done in a mouse model known as the polyamamidyl T mouse. So a little bit about this. Um, the polyamamidyl T mouse model is an estrogen receptor negative mouse model of breast cancer. Um, it's a very aggressive model. There's 100% penetrance um, by week 17. So as you can see here, all of the mice develop tumors by week 17. Um, the expression of the polyamamidyl T antigen is driven by a mammary-specific promoter. So in this transgenic mouse model, expression of this polyamamidyl T antigen is restricted uh, to the mammary tissue. So these mice develop tumors in the breast. Um, and the tumor burden reaches uh, IOCA guidelines by about week 22. So the mice have to be sacked at that point because they're just, the tumor burden is too great. Um, <coughs> One of the other uh, key points about this mouse model is that uh, it's characterized by the development of metastases. So the mice develop uh, lung mats in, uh, also, which makes it a nice and attractive model for uh, potentially studying metastatic effects as well. So um, as I said, the polyomamidyl T model is a, a pretty aggressive model of estrogen receptor negative breast cancer. Um, one of the attractive points of this model is that the uh, pathological progression closely mimics uh, human disease. So there's the progression from hyperplasia to adenoma and early and late carcinoma. Um, and this is characterized by a gradual loss of estrogen receptor positivity as well as progesterone receptor positivity with an increase in uh, new 
and cyclin D1, which is also what you would predict and mimics the human disease. Um, the other thing that's really attractive about this model, uh, from my perspective, is that it's characterized by a very high leukocytic infiltrate. So it makes it a really nice model for studying immune cells, particularly macrophages. There we go. So these data that I just showed you um, were uh, in this polyoma middle T model. And the reason I'm pointing this out again is that because... Um, this model is so aggressive. To date, when this paper was published, which was 2012, no other compound had been shown to have any degree of efficacy in these mice. So um, before this, nothing had worked. Um, since this, one other compound, it's an actually an HDAC inhibitor, has been identified that has shown some degree of efficacy in treating these, in preventing or delaying uh, tumor growth in these mice. But at the time, this was really the first compound that was shown to work in this model. And in fact, um, this of course begged the question, well, how? How is this drug um, working in this model for which very few other things have shown efficacy? And um, in work that was published in 2012 by uh, Karen Livy, my collaborator, and Mike Sporn, it was shown that this drug in fact induces apoptosis in cancer cells. Um, and so it acts directly on the tumor cells. But in addition to that, um, they show that there was an inhibition of recruitment of macrophages uh, to tumors. So what you're looking at here in panel A are flow data. So they're looking at the percent F480, and F480 is a marker of, of macrophages, mouse macrophages. So they're looking at percentage of F480 positive cells. And you can see here that maximal recruitment of macrophages occurs at 12 weeks in this mouse model. And at the 12-week time point, the time point of maximal recruitment, there's a relatively modest but nonetheless significant decrease in the uh, number of macrophages that get to the tumor in the mice that have been fed the drug. And uh, here's the IHC, and this is just a quantification of the IHC on the bottom, which... Uh, closely represents the, the flow data. So one of the, the ways in which it is hypothesized that this drug works is to inhibit uh, recruitment of macrophages to tumor. And uh, they also show that there was uh, a decrease in the amount of, of that chemokine, CCL2, which was responsible for recruitment of macrophages to tumors um, as a result of, of treatment with this drug. So... Going back to this for a minute, this is, this is a pretty modest effect, um, but it's significant, and certainly it has biological significance. But this was the time at which I actually started getting involved in this project. So the student who was doing this work contacted me and said, can you help me with macrophages? We're a cancer lab. Um, and so I started uh, going to her thesis committee meetings and saying things like, well, You've done a really nice job characterizing the effects of the drug on the cancer cells. And we know um, from your data that there's a decrease in recruitment of the macrophages to the tumors. But a fair number of macrophages are still getting to the tumors. So what does the drug do to the macrophages, if anything, that are actually at the tumor? So that became my student's thesis project. Um, and the way we initially decided to uh, investigate this was uh, using in vitro uh, techniques. So 
this actually, this slide, I always joke, this slide took about two years because um, we really had to optimize the means for isolating these tumor-associated macrophages. It took quite a, quite a lot of optimization. Nonetheless, um, so we took 12-week-old mice, and the reason we took 12-week-old mice was because Based on the previous slide, that was the time of maximal recruitment. So we tried to maximize the number of macrophages we were getting. At 12 weeks, um, the tumors are palpable also in the mice. So um, what we did was take these 12-week-old mice, isolate mammary glands and tumors, um, digest them enzymatically to form a single-cell suspension, and then do an F4ED bead selection. And so the idea here is that we're going to be isolating the macrophages um, using beads. And then the cells were treated in vitro with 300 nanomolar CDDOME, which we had shown uh, in dose-response studies was the optimal dose for um, observing the effects we see. And um, we then stimulated them with LPS to provide that immune activation that you would see normally in the context of the tumor microenvironment. But because these cells are outside the tumor microenvironment, they need to be activated. Okay, and so what you're looking at here, and this was work that was published a couple of years ago, is um, mRNA levels of a variety of mediators that are characteristic of either these immunostimulatory or immunosuppressive macrophages. So the blue lines here, bars here, uh, indicate mice that were fed vehicle, or these are, sorry, these are not... Uh, no, these are mice. This, this, these are macrophages from mice. So these are uh, cells that were treated with vehicle alone. This is in vitro. And, um, and you compare that with cells that were treated with CDDOME. And what you see is that there is a statistically significant de decrease in the expression of things that are associated with immune suppression, things like SOX3, YM1, um, IL-10, arginase, uh, with an increase in expression of things associated with immunostimulation, uh, things like IL-6 and, and arginase and TNF. So that's at the mRNA level. We also looked at uh, protein expression from these cells by ELISA. So these four graphs are ELISA data. And what you can see is that here we're measuring VEGF expression, and we know VEGF is, is important for inducing angiogenesis. You see a significant decrease in the amount of VEGF uh, and the amount of immunosuppressive IL-10 that's being made uh, by these cells in response to treatment with CDDOME, um, and a significant increase in the amount of, of uh, cytokines associated with immunostimulation, including TNF-alpha and IL-6. We also did multiplex analysis of supernatants from these cells. And in the top panel, um, you can see... Uh, in accordance with the ELISA data, whoops, uh, VEGF levels are significantly decreased. Um, expression of LIF, which is an IL-6 family member, is decreased, um, as well as IL-10. And then on the bottom, we, we're looking at a number of chemokines responsible for macrophage uh, and T-cell recruitment. And what you see is that there's a decrease. Um, and I'd like to draw your particular attention to that decrease in CCL2. We also wanted to, so we said, okay, great, there is this very dramatic effect on VEGF expression, um, but does this have any sort of functional uh, consequences? There's some sort of functional endpoint we can look at to determine if, if this means anything. So remember, these are in vitro studies. 
So we took endothelial cells, which of course are responsible for forming the vasculature, and we uh, used this tube assay, this uh, in vitro tube assay, to look at their ability to form, to form vessels. So what you're looking at here um, are endothelial cells that don't have um, a lot of growth oh, here, EBM. These are endothelial cells that don't have complete media. So they do not have media that's going to support vessel formation. And you can see there's very little vessel formation observed over here. We also, so that's our negative control. For our positive control, we gave these cells media that was complete. So this media has all of the growth factors necessary for these cells to form uh, tubes. And that's our positive control here. And then we co-cultured these cells with supernatants, conditioned media, from <coughs> macrophages that had been treated with either vehicle or CDDOME. And so here are the cells that have been treated, uh, the conditioned media incubated with the endothelial cells treated uh, with vehicle alone. And you can see they're still able to form these, these tubes. And in the cells that received media uh, that was treated with C from cells that were treated with CDDOME, we see a significant decrease in their ability to form these vessels. And all of that is quantitated right here. So it does appear as though the decrease in VEGF expression has a functional consequence. So we also um, decided to look at these cells in the context of, the, of this drug in the context of human cells. So one concern um, with any sort of uh, mouse model system is that maybe the effects that you're observing with your drug are some artifact of some contrived system that you're using. Um, and I will confess in the interest of full disclosure that these experiments also uh, were uh, generated because, um, because I'm a very impatient person. And as you saw from the first slide, it takes 12 weeks. We had to wait 12 weeks for these tumors to develop. So I said to my student, what are we doing in the interim? I want to, you know, let's, let's see if we can look at something more acute. So with human cells, all we do is take macro, uh, monocytes and we can differentiate them with MCSF. So it's known that MCSF supplies, um, especially in the context of breast tumors, supplies a key signal that's responsible for activating macrophages. So we took, we took monocytes, cultured them with MCSF for a week in vitro, and then did the drug treatments. And what you can see, probably not completely well here, is that um, in the top panel here, A, we're looking at effects on TNF expression. So you can see a dose-dependent increase in the amount of TNF that's elicited from the cells treated with CDDOME. Um, and interestingly, it, it drops off. And this is very characteristic of this drug. Um, it's very subject uh, to dose. Um, we also looked at expression um, of IL-6 and TNF, and you can see an increase there. These were treated with the 300 nanomolar dose, um, and you can see an increase in all of the, the different, um, these are health, cells from healthy donors um, that were treated. And then we also looked at uh, IL-10 and VEGF, and in accordance with what we saw in the mouse studies, there is a decrease, uh, a significant decrease in the amount of these immunosuppressive and pro-angiogenic factors that are elicited from these cells by treatment with the drug. So, okay, we also looked by flow cytometry at expression of surface markers associated with this immunosuppressive versus immunostimulatory phenotype. 
And these were cells that were not treated with LPS. So um, what we saw here was a significant increase um, in class two expression uh, in cells that were treated with CDDOME. And then we also did it in the context of LPS, and we saw a significant increase in CD80, uh, which you would associate with immunostimulation as well as class two, um, and a decrease in CD206, which is associated with these uh, immunosuppressive uh, macrophages. So we also wanted to look at the ability of this drug to manipulate macrophage activation and their ability to stimulate uh, proliferation of T cells. So we in vitro, again, took human cells, um, treated them with or without cytokine here. So we made them uh, more of the immunosuppressive phenotype by treating them with MCSF or uh, Made it, we also made some, as control, immunostimulatory by treating them with GMCSF as the cytokine, treated them with the drug, uh, and then co-cultured them with autologous lymphocytes that were activated with um, soluble CD3 and CD28, um, and then looked for uh, incorporation of CFSE and dilution of the dye. And what you see, there it is, um, we did this both, we cultured these cells with um, the macrophages directly as well as supernatant from the macrophages that were treated with the drug. Um, and what you can see in all cases is that um, here we're looking at the gray bar. These are the M1 cells. So this is our positive control. <laughs> these cells are going to be really good at inducing proliferation of T cells. Um, and you compare the supernatant here and the macrophage. Um, the macrophages that were differentiated with MCSF, so made immunosuppressive, that were treated with the drug, managed to uh, stimulate T cell proliferation almost to the same extent as um, the control macrophages. So we think the ability, uh, so we think one of the, the consequences of this drug is the induction of the ability of macrophages to stimulate T cell proliferation and activation. Um, so those studies were all published, and those are all in vitro studies. But of course, we want to know, does this drug have any um, in vivo properties? And do we see the same effects in vivo that we see in vitro? So in order to do this, I told you that CDDOME is orally available. Um, we fed the mice the drug. So the mice got genotyped to make sure they're the appropriate uh, mice. And beginning at week four, we fed mice, uh, either control diet or CDDONE for eight weeks. Um, and then we harvested their mammary tissue and spleen as well at 12 weeks. And uh, in an analogous situation to what we saw with uh, the in vitro studies, we saw a significant decrease in the amount of VEGF, IL-10, uh, that were being produced with a concomitant increase in the amount of TNF. Um, that was elicited from the cells. One of the interesting differences um, between the in vitro studies and the in vivo studies is that although CDDOME in vitro was able to elicit IL-6 expression, uh, in vivo it didn't. Um, and um, certainly IL-6 is not associated with uh, positive effects in vivo in, in the context of cancer. So it's, it's kind of an, it was an interesting observation. Um, we also looked at uh, expression of uh, surface markers that are associated with macrophage activation on these cells. And um, 
In line with what uh, has been previously published, we saw a significant decrease in the number of macrophages that got to the tumor. So the number of F4D positive cells, um, percent positive, was decreased in the mice that were fed the drug. Um, we saw a significant decrease in expression of CD206, um, and, which is the mannose receptor, and CD115, which is the um, CSF. F receptor, um, which are associated with these immunosuppressive macrophages, and an increase in uh, the percent positive cells for class two, which of course is associated with immunostimulation. So, so far, uh, the in vivo data are, are good correlates of the in vitro data. We also, so I mean, we're looking at a few cytokines and chemokines, and one concern as well, okay, you're you're cherry-picking perhaps a couple of cells that, or a couple of, of cytokines that are of interest. Um, but what's going on more globally? So in the interest of doing that, um, and this was done in collaboration with Mike Whitfield's lab and, and Victor Martinoff did this analysis for us, we um, took macrophages from mice that were fed the drug or not um, for 12 weeks, for while well, they were fed the drug or not for eight weeks. At 12 weeks, we harvested the macrophages, isolated RNA, and did microarray analysis on them. And um, a number of genes came up as uh, significantly altered, things notably like CCL2, which was uh, when what you're looking at here uh, is de the yellow is decreased and the blue is increased. So uh, CDDOME decreased the amount of CCL2 that was produced. Um, but it increased the amount of IL-1 beta and CXCL16, which is a chemokine that's responsible for uh, CD8 recruitment, CD8 T-cell recruitment. Um, and we did some RT-PCR to verify the array results, and that's what's, located, that's what's indicated over here. So you see an increase in things associated with TNF and NF-kappa B signaling, the inflammatory response, um, the interferon gamma response, um, lots of signaling pathways are induced. Uh, so things that are associated with immune activation were induced um, by these cells, giving us um, more confidence in the fact that uh, this drug was, in fact, inducing more global effects. It, it wasn't just restricted to a few cytokines. Okay, we also looked at T-cell distributions, both in tumors and the spleens. And interestingly, in the tumor, we didn't see a difference in the number of uh, the proportion of CD4 cells, but we did see an increase in the number of CD8-positive T cells in the tumor. Uh, in the spleen, we saw, interestingly, a decrease in the number of CD4s, but again, an increase in the number of CD8s. So um, we think this drug is um, actually help, helping to not only mediate effects on macrophages, but on the tumor microenvironment in general. And this slide is just a a summary slide of what we think is, is going on in the cancer state, so no drug involved here. So what you see here is that um, the tumor cells are depicted here in green, and the macrophages are there and there in the tumor. So we think, and I haven't had time to show you some of uh, the effects of the drug on the can we've, we've looked at effects of the drug on the cancer cells themselves and their ability to modulate production of factors that uh, induced macrophage activation, and we, we did, in fact, see effects on things like MCSF and, and a cytokine called LIF. Um, but we think there's this sort of this reciprocal activation going on. Um, so where we see in, in the context of a, a tumor, macrophages have high 
expression of these immunosuppressive factors, things like CD115, 206, and 163. They produce IL-10 and TGF-beta, which induce uh, immunosuppression in the tumor microenvironment. Um, in turn, these cells then make IL-10 and IL-4 factors, which are, in fact, going to result in further immunosuppressive activation of the macrophages. And all of the, the collective result of all of this is going to provide an environment that's going to foster the development and progression of tumors. So what we think is going on with this drug is that we're, we're helping to block some of that. So instead of, um, you know, here's your tumor cell, when we treat with a drug, we see a decrease in all of these things associated with immunosuppression, and we see an increase in things associated with immune activation, things like class 2 and CD80. Um, we, so this has led us to develop the hypothesis that what this drug is doing is actually repolarizing activation. It's re-educating this macrophage, which is, manip- uh, which is amenable to manipulation. So now this redirected macrophage is going to be capable of inducing immune responses. It's going to be able to um, recruit CD8 T cells to the tumor microenvironment. It's going to induce activation of those T cells based on the the CFSE proliferation data. Um, It's going to be responsible for, uh, I didn't show you this, but decreasing recruitment of things like regulatory T cells. We have data to support that. Um, And so we think that collectively all of these things are helping to provide an environment that's not hospitable to tumor growth. And that is one of the ways in which this drug is working to to, uh, curtail tumor progression. So there are a bunch of questions that uh, are outstanding. So in the first place, um, and probably most importantly, What's the molecular mechanism by which this is occurring? So I haven't shown you any data uh, with regard to how... I've shown you lots of data showing the effects of the drug on macrophages, but I haven't told you how. And I started off by telling you that I'm interested in the signaling pathways that regulate macrophage activation. So obviously this is something that I'm very, very interested in determining. Um, One of the things that we know about this drug is that it hits many, many targets. So there's not a single target of this drug. And there are very many well-characterized pathways responsible for macrophage activation, Um, things like STAT3, NF-kappa-B, NOTCH. Um, And we've looked at all of these things, and the short answer to, and the reason I'm not showing you all of this data, is because um, everything we've looked at so far is affected by the drug. So there's a decrease in STAT3 activation, there's a decrease in NF-kappa-B, pathways associated with this immunosuppressive macrophage activation, uh, pathway. So we really need to take, I think, a more global sort of proteomic approach to answering the question of, of what's responsible for inducing this activation. But right now, we, we don't know. Um, another key question that we need to answer is, um, so we see this increase in the proportion of CD8-positive T cells in the tumor. Um, are they antigen-specific? We don't know that. Um, And probably most interestingly, um, the last question here is, so I started off by telling you that the drug, and I've shown you lots of data now to support this, that the drug doesn't um, prevent tumor growth, right? It just delays progression and enhances survival. So in and of itself, I don't think this drug is going to be the magic cure-all for cancer. But 
I do think because of its effect on and its ability to remodel the tumor microenvironment, it could be potentially combined with some other immunotherapy to increase its efficacy. Um, and um, one thing that we could potentially use this drug to enhance the efficacy of is things like immune checkpoint regulators. So um, immune checkpoints have shown some great, great, immune checkpoint inhibitors have shown great progress, uh, pro progress and promise, um, but in a lot of solid tumors, they don't really work so well. And there are many reasons for that, but one of the reasons certainly is immunosuppression in the tumor microenvironment uh, mediated by TAMs. And um, so one of the things we would like to do is to test if we can treat with this drug in our breast tumor model, can we actually increase the efficacy of things like um, anti-CTLA-4? Um, we know that TAMs themselves express uh, PDL1 and, in fact, PD1. Um, and so uh, if we can redirect their activation and perhaps curtail that, um, we might increase. Um, while concomitantly increasing immune activation within the tumor, we might be able to get that um, drive for uh, immune activation and increase the efficacy of these checkpoint inhibitors. Um, we also think because this drug uh, has shown, been shown to reduce expression of CCL2 so profoundly that that's another way that that we can use this drug to enhance immune checkpoint blockade by simply just depleting or inhibiting macrophage recruitment to tumors. So CCL2 is a chemokine that we're very interested in, um, primarily because of this very reproducible and very significant effect uh, on its expression by CDDOME. So um, it's widely recognized that CCL2 promotes TAM recruitment both to primary tumors and um, the signaling pathway responsible for that varies depending on the type of cancer. Um, in breast cancer, NOTCH seems to be responsible um, for induction of CCL2 expression. Um, but also in metastatic disease. Um, so CCL2 is really important in recruitment um, and extravasation of, of monocytes, inflammatory monocytes, from uh, the tumor microenvironment and from the blood uh, to distal sites. So, and of course, uh, metastatic disease is um, of, of enormous interest. So one of the contexts in which we've um, uh, started to investigate this is in the context of melanoma. So we're using, um, and we're doing these studies in collaboration with Mary Jo, we're using her BRAF P10 mouse model of melanoma. So in this mouse model, and I'm not going to talk a lot about mouse data, just a little bit, but so I wanted to introduce the model. Um, in this mouse model of melanoma, um, it's characterized by a mutation in BRAF, which is an activating mutation, which results in uh, induction of MAP kinase activation. So there's that uh, mutation. And it's also characterized by this P10 mutation. P10 is a tumor suppressor. So when you just have the BRAF mutation, you really have these, um, you don't have melanoma. But when the combination of the two is when you develop rapid melanoma formation. So this is the mouse model that we're using. Um, 
we've shown that, um, just in some preliminary studies, that CDDOME is capable of reducing the primary and total tumor burden in this mouse model. Um, so in these experiments, uh, tumors were uh, induced for 10 days, and then mice were fed uh, the drug or not. And what you can see is that there is, by, certainly by day 47, there's a significant decrease in the uh, primary and total tumor burden um, as a result of administration of this drug. So this is Mary Jo's data that she published last year. So um, I told you that one of the, the key points about this mouse model is um, that it's characterized by BRAF. A mutation which results in chronic MAP kinase activation. So as a result of that, many inhibitors have been developed, um, notably remurafenib, which um, is FDA approved for the treatment of melanoma to curtail that BRAF activation. So the, the uh, BRAF inhibitors work really well for a while um, until they don't. Um, and uh, resistance to these BRAF inhibitors develops. And what Mary Jo's lab has shown is that um, the development of BRAF uh, inhibitor resistance is really the result of a recruitment of myeloid cells to the tumor microenvironment. And what you can see here is that um, untreated mice you compare with the 30-day of the BRAF inhibitor, there's a significant decrease in the amount uh, in the myeloid uh, component of the tumor. And then at day 120, where you get the development of resistance, um, that goes away. And um, it's highly correlated with CCL2 expression. So our working hypothesis is maybe what's going on is that we can use this drug to inhibit that um, increase in CCL2 expression. And if we can do that, perhaps we can use CDDOME to combine it with the BRAF inhibitor to uh, prevent the development of resistance. So those are studies that we're um, trying right now in the mouse model. Um, but I want to show you a little bit of um, some of the data that we have using human cells, because the mouse uh, studies are going to take a little while to, to, to get uh, significance. So. Um, what has been developed in the lab uh, by my student is a human triculture system assay. And so very simply, what she does is um, we're using a melanoma cell line. So these are SKML28 cells that she seeds. Um, and then on day one, she adds monocytes. And we're using a transwell system here. So um, the melanoma cells are on the bottom. The, the monocytes are over here. And then she adds T cells at day two that are activated. Um, and then she treats on day six with the drug for 16 hours at the 300 nanomolar dose that we've shown uh, mediates all of these effects in vitro. Um, and then she stimulates them with LPS and then harvests them. So, and I should also add that the, um, the monocytes and the T cells are autologous, so they're derived from the same donor. And using this... Um, model system, what she has shown, and here you're looking at CCL2, which is, of course, our favorite chemokine. Um, what you see is when you culture the SKML cells and the macrophages together, you see, as expected, a quite robust production of CCL2, and these are ELISA data. Um, however, when the cells are treated with CDDOME, it pretty much goes down to nothing. 
Um, in the context of the triculture system, you see um, also a large amount of CCL2 that's being produced. And I should add that these T cells are um, a combination of CD4 and CD8. We haven't segregated the cells at all. So they're CD3 positive T cells. Um, but what you also see um, is that the amount of CCL2 that's produced goes down to zero. And this is reproducible, and it's pretty striking. I mean, we, we see no CCL2. It's kind of surprising. but um. And then if you look at the uh, effects on IL-6 expression, we also see a dramatic decrease in the amount of IL-6 that's being released. So um, as expected with the uh, melanoma cells and the macrophages, you see a pretty robust expression of, of IL-6. Um, when the cells are treated with the drug, there's a significant decrease in the amount of IL-6 that's produced. In the triculture system, these two are not significantly different from one another. Um, there's also an increase in IL-6 production, but it's dramatically attenuated when the cells are treated with the drug. So this, these data make us very excited about going into the mouse and doing the mouse studies um, because we see this dramatic decrease. Okay. Uh, and I certainly don't want to um, give you the, the indication that I'm the only one doing or trying to do uh, immunotherapy to redirect macrophages. Lots and lots of people are doing it very successfully. And this is um, just, I put this up here to show you one of those examples. Um, this is from a JX Med paper in March uh, of this year. And in this paper, what they did um, was they used a CSF1 receptor inhibitor uh, in combination with anti CD40 to induce um, a transient redirection of macrophage activation. And it was pretty transient, but it was also pretty durable. Um, and what they showed was that redirection of this TAM activation was successful in boosting pre-existing anti-tumor immunity. So um, it makes me very hopeful that um, perhaps the drug, uh, the, some of the results that we've gotten can be utilized to exploit um, changes in the tumor microenvironment to increase efficacy of other therapies as well. So in conclusion, um, I've shown you data showing that CDDOME redirects activation of uh, immunosuppressive TAMs and alternatively activated human macrophages in vitro. That was our published work. Um, in vivo CDDOME uh, treatment mitigates immunosuppression in the tumor microenvironment. Um, I showed you effects on, on uh, TAMs and it seems to skew the balance of, of T cells in the tumor. There's an increase in CD8 T cells in the tumor. Um, and the triculture system showing uh, decreases or almost abrogation of production of CCL2 and significant decreases in IL-6 secretion. So with that, I'd like to acknowledge the people that actually did all the work. So Michael Ball was responsible for um, most of the uh, cancer studies in the polyoma middle T model. Um, he was a former graduate student that is now working at Encores, um, which is a biotech startup in Boston. Um, and Rajan helped him with some of those studies. And um, Gretel is a second-year graduate student in my lab doing work uh, um, in the melanoma model. And I'd like to also thank um, my collaborator at Michigan State who uh, developed the drug and um, continues to advise us and help us with these studies, uh, Karen Leiby, and, of course, Mary Jo's lab for all of their help um, with the melanoma model and Mike's lab for help with the microarray analysis and our funding. We've received funding from Dharma Synergy and we have some Prouty Pilot funding. So with that, thank you.
questions for Pat? Pat, thank you for that great talk. Yep. Well, well, you remember the whole mouse model when you treat with the CD? Can you separate out the the, um, the you know, tumor effect mediated from the macrophages from the direct effect on the tumor cells? Because you have both going on, right? So you were talking about the last bit of stuff that I showed with the... Uh, well, I was talking about more sort of short the middle where you're... Where you, 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 you can show that CDVO inhibits the, inhibits the tumor growth and you can show that it, that it affects the macrophage polarization. Right. But, the, but how much of that delay is due to the polarization and how much is due to the tumor cell directly? Yeah, so the... Um... The, you're, you're saying how much of the in vitro data is really informing the in vivo results. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to do that. We, we, um, we certainly can do that. I think we'll have to do some conditional ablation of macrophages from the tumor um, to, to separate those two, to parse those two apart, definitely. You're very interested in that. You know, if I understood you correctly, for the mouse work, you were using hormone-independent tumor cell line. Does the same thing apply if you use a hormone-independent cell? And the reason I'm asking is that it's just being an old endocrinologist, you can't get away from the structure of, uh, mm -hmm. of that compound that is really steroid, and whether or not it may be playing some role in the receptor life. It does look a lot like, you're right, a lot, a lot like steroid hormones. And... Um, we haven't done any experiments in vitro directly ourselves. I can tell you that my collaborator has used this drug in an ER-positive mouse model, um, a couple of ER-positive mouse models of breast cancer, and she shows um, very similar effects. Um, the drug itself has effects on the estrogen receptor, which, of course, is something that I'm interested in, in looking at. Yeah, um, so it, it's certainly something that I, that I would like to look at more closely. Um, it, it could be certainly having some... Part of its action might be that, you know, uh, our former, really former uh, chair of the medicine, Fred Nathlin, from the 1980s, had, a, uh, had an intern working with him by the name of Gil Moore, and they made the observation that 50% uh, of the breast tumors were macrophages. And then what Gil wrote in that paper was that most of these uh, macrophages were very high in aromatase activity, mm -hmm. was capable of making estrogen. And I wonder if the things that you've uncovered here are really playing into um, a hormonally uh, uh, mediated event. Yeah, it certainly could. It certainly could be. Um, we know that the cells are, they express, we've looked a long time ago, we looked at these cells, and we've shown that they express estrogen receptors. Um, and there have, other people have done work showing that they're signaling involved, um, that they're, they're signaling. Um, you know, and a long time ago, I submitted a grant proposing to look at estrogen uh, effects in uh, ER negative uh, breast cancer. And it, was not received very well because because the macrophages do express estrogen receptors, um, but yeah, we didn't get funding to do that, so I didn't do it. But um, but it's certainly something that yeah could be could be a lot of, of a lot of interest. Great, we are out of time. Thanks again so much. Thanks very much.